This is the Screaming Pods Network on ScreamingPods.com. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. So, I, th- I thought it was important to tell you um, my truth that I am, I'm gay. I wish I could share this moment with, with dad and see how, how happy, happy I am. And, um, past six or seven years, they've been, they've been a trying time for me. I've dealt with so much stuff that I could talk about. I just did it, I did it for you. I don't think I would be here today if I didn't have some of the people, some of the friends, some the family like you, <laughs> not being honest. And um, I mean, I can't be just like, I don't know, it just felt like a lie. I don't have much family here and you are my family and I don't want to lose you. No, you won't. I'm always gonna be there for you. you it's like, I know you're gonna be for me. Yes. <sighs> okay, I'm relieved. <laughs> I've read many polarizing opinions on Netflix's reboot of Queer Eye, but I found most of us agree that this moment, captured in episode 5, was emotionally compelling. My wife and I looked at each other with tears streaming down our faces, amazed that a few minutes of a makeover show could be used to illustrate the internal struggle and fear that so many young LGBTQ people have about coming out. Due to religious and sociological constraints, many people are attempting to live their lives in a shell of themselves, but are unable to live in true freedom. This burden can be sickening. This burden can even be deadly. Today we'll hear from three gay men who've shed that burden and have begun to live their lives in freedom. Welcome to the Armchair Philosopher. I'm Sean DeRager. John Doolin joins me right now, and uh, he is the the host of a podcast called You Can't Sit With Us. It's on the Screaming Pods Network, along with, of course, Armchair Philosopher and a bunch of other... uh, you know, less heavy podcasts, but of the more more fun ones. Um, so, John, thanks for joining me to talk a little bit about uh, 
uh, about your experiences with, uh, you know, coming out and LGBT yeah. and being gay and all that good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm super happy. <laughs> it's always hard for me to address these things because I have I, I always will end up putting my foot in my mouth saying the wrong thing. Uh, if that happens, John, just uh, please let me know. Please be honest with me. And, and if there's anything that comes across that way and um, you'll learn really quick that I don't get offended very <laughs> by anything and i think some people need to lighten up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> awesome sometimes it's okay to just politely correct someone then have to chastise them <laughs> and in, in my case of course my filter is straight white heterosexual so it's like you know yeah <laughs> but but um on the previous podcast when i interviewed jay baker i talked about kind of my uh, experience with him and how, and so I was raised in more of a fundamentalist Christian home. Um, I, I was raised with this very specific uh, view of gay culture. And like I said before, like my parents were very uh, strict with all that. And in fact, at one point, um, my sis, I had a, I had a gay friend and we were servers together at a local local restaurant in Iowa. And my my sister started working there, too. And she became friends with him as well. And uh, they needed someone to watch their dog. And my sister was like, well, you know, so and so can watch the dog. And my parents were like, well, he's gay. So I don't know if he can watch our dog. <laughs> and I was just like, what does that even have to do with anything? So, so that's my you never know what gay animals you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand so, so that's kind of how i was raised uh what religion were you raised in specifically i'm from a very large irish family so that means that you are raised catholic <laughs> you are strict roman catholic they don't know anything else <laughs> <laughs> catholicism for us my parents are always like all oh, catholics are going to hell <laughs> so, <laughs> so. So I always and uh, and then as I started you know, making Catholic friends and everything, I started realizing, oh, like this just a lot of ritual, I guess, goes into Catholicism. Yeah. It's very cult like and it's very boring. Like <laughs> as a child. <laughs> Did you learn specific things about, quote unquote, you know, I'm going to use the uh, just recently someone told me that uh, they didn't like the word homosexual. And uh, but but in the church, I'd heard it so much, you know, homosexuality yeah. is of the devil and all that stuff. So I I will as my frame of reference, probably say that quite a bit, but, um, but what, what was their view on, on homosexuality as what is you being raised that way? And when did you kind of start realizing like, Oh, there's something different. Should you, or shouldn't you keep it to yourself? When did all that kind of come into play? First of all, I grew up in Connecticut, which as most people know, is a blue kind of liberal state. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have like the whole, like gays are going to burn, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was just, when it was mentioned, it was always it was never like a demonizing thing, but it was always kind of in a negative connotation. Like there was never any, you know, it's not like my church was like, oh, come on. If you're a fag, come on in, you know, <laughs> like that or anything. But it was like they didn't demonize it. But, you know, it was just whenever it was brought up, it was like, oh, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, and they bring up the Leviticus and all that stuff. And so. I always knew that I was weird. I always, I always quote, um, I always quote uh, Sharon ne Needles, who's from RuPaul's Drag Race season four. Not only was I the gay kid, I was the weird gay kid. <laughs> so it was like I was a very late bloomer to realizing that I was gay, and it was because 
um, because of that negative connotation. Like it wasn't from my parents or anything like that. I have very, very free thinking liberal parents who are like really awesome. I love them to death. Um, it was just, you know, you hear it sometimes in church, you hear it at school, like somebody says, oh, you're gay. And it's like, it's a bad thing. You know, there's never a positive aspect of it. So it's like, I knew I was strange. I thought maybe I could be gay. You know, I was also the horror nerd, like the fucking weirdo. Like I was a fat kid too. So that didn't help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I just kind of buried it down for a while. And I like successfully had relationships with women, you know, too. So it wasn't until like my last girlfriend broke up with me. And I think she knew, I think she always knew. I'm still like great friends with her now. Um, she like, we, it was just like, we had become, uh, roommates instead of like in a relationship. So she was just like, I think I have to be single. And I was like, okay, I'll find a new room tomorrow. Like it was never like a bad thing or anything. And at that point I was like, well, I've always had these feelings and I've always, I didn't know, I didn't really suppress them, but it was more like, I just kind of, I had buried them at such a young age because of those negative connotations that I was just like, okay, it's time to kind of let them back out. And that's kind of how I <laughs> came into my homo sexiness. <laughs> and what, around what age was that? Was that uh, high school? Was that a little bit after high school? Like, what, oh, no, that was way into my 20s. Like, I okay. was, when I say late bloomer, I was late bloomer. <laughs> you know, throughout my high school, like middle school, high school, I was always called a fucking fag by my classmates and mm-hmm. shit like that. A lot of gay people don't like the word fag, but I mean, I use it a lot because it's like I got called it all the time and now I'm taking it back. Yeah. So <laughs> that's respectable, man. Yeah. I mean, like if a straight person said it, I'd give him a lecture. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was like, I was just always kind of ridiculed for it. And, you know, and I was also I'd said how I was a fat kid. And like, I mean, like fat, like my doctor told me when I was like 12 years old, she was like, if you don't start losing weight, you're going to have a heart attack by the time you're 18. Oh, wow. And I think that's why I'm like such like a workout freak, like gym rat now. Um, she gave me an eating disorder, (laughs) but, uh, you know, like when I saw like a good looking guy, I was, I would stare at it and I'd be like attracted to it. But in my mind, since I had like suppressed the being gay as a bad thing, I would just kind of justify it. Like, oh, I'm staring at that guy because I'm jealous that he's in good shape, you know? Mm. And that was that was how I justified it. I was like, oh, I'm not gay. I just I just wish that I was that person. But no, I, I mean, I did wish I was him, but I also wanted to be with him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> so that's kind of how I came about it late in life. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because because you have to almost have like an it's almost like a cultural shift, I guess. Right. And you're thinking so you came around to yourself. You're like, all right, well, I, I am gay. And um, what was that process like? Was it just like accepting it was it was was there kind of like some growing pains with that realization it's such a strange thing because i had like built this personality for myself where i was like the cool straight kid who liked weird quirky gay like queer films and Mm -hmm. had all these gay friends and that was who my kind of persona was in like high school and early college days so i was almost like in not embarrassed to tell people, but I just, I didn't want to have to justify myself to people to like, 
to say, oh, that was all a lie, because it wasn't really a lie. I believed it at the time myself, even though I look back now and I was like I said, I was justifying things. But it was strange to kind of have to say, well, I'm not that person. I am just, you know, a fucking fag like the rest of you. you know? <laughs> but I never had like I never had a problem telling my really good friends or anything, you know, and it's you know, this, it, it's always the saying where like your, your friends know your parents always know, like the people they knew, you know, right. they were just waiting for you to know. And so it was very, I had a very kind of gradual coming out. I never made a big announcement about it. I would there was just, no, if I no met, rainbow cake or anything, no, <laughs> there, was no, there was no Facebook life event or anything right, right. like that. It was, if somebody asked me, I would just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. And as for, like some people that I already knew in life, I didn't even have to tell them. They just kind of got it, you know, like they they saw what was going on with me. They saw like the people that I was hanging out with and they accepted it and just understood it. You know, I mean, that's probably a good thing of growing up in like inner, inner diverse inner cities. Yeah. And like I said, in New England, too. So I was lucky in that aspect. Yeah, because, I mean, you hear so many stories of people who who live in more of like repressed uh, area, you know, uh, along the Bible Belt or, or or depending on their you know religious circumstances and their family. And that's I think that's awesome. man. I, I, I really think that's. It's, it's hard for me to put myself in that mindset. The only way that I can kind of do a parallel is, you know, people who knew me as, you know, this Christian, right? And yeah. I was always walking the talk, always trying to do that. And then over the past, you know, five years, especially um, having that realization that, no, I'm not, I'm technically like I would not consider myself a Christian right now. And then having to like tell people that, you know, and be worried about what's the reaction of this person that I love? Like what's this reaction? Uh, what kind of reaction are they going to get? Like, are they going to distance themselves from me? Are they, you know, are they going to be combative with me? So I mean, that's the only parallel that I have. It's the same thing. The fear is always there. Like whenever you make like a drastic change like that, where there are people who vehemently oppose, like there are people who oppose homosexuality. There are people who oppose the fact that you don't practice the religion you were raised in. And so there's always that fear that you're going to like hurt somebody that you really care about or that you're going to like see the true colors of somebody that you thought you knew. What was the kind of the biggest change that you dealt with as far as like, all right, so you come to this realization, you gradually kind of come out to your friends and everything. Was was there an adjustment into your dating habits? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? I mean, I guess transition like because I hear a lot of stories of from what I hear, a completely different ball game. No, gay dating is like literally being thrown to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> um, like when I would date females, it was, it was, I, I would say that they both have their ups and downs. Mm -hmm. when, like when I was trying to date women, it was very, you didn't know where a woman stood on things sometimes. Like you didn't know if they were really into you or if you were just kind of wasting your time. And with men, it's like they, from my experience, at least, I'm sure everyone's is a little different from my experience, from the people that I've gone out with from my area of the country, uh, guys are very blatant and to the point with you. There's no real kind of bullshit 
going back and forth. It's they'll tell you straight up. I'm looking to just hook up. I'm looking for dates. I'm looking to find a husband. And like, I appreciate that because it's like, okay, I know right away what I'm getting into with this person, what they want out of life. Cause they're going to tell you straight up. And I mean, half of them are going to show you their fucking cock before they tell you, (laughs) which is another thing. That's, the good th- like the good thing is um and when i was dating females it was always like you were kind of pursuing the girl mm-hmm. and now that dating boys it's like i'm being pursued and on some level that's actually kind of nice you know it, it makes you feel kind of special like <laughs> somebody is pursuing to date you or to go out with you and that's it's like i said it's both a good thing and it's both kind of scary like some of them can get very aggressive like i said like if I try to not go on any of the apps at all. I'd rather meet somebody in person because the apps can get real nasty. Um, you know, people are not nice, whether they're gay, straight, bi, whatever. You know, and when you're on like one of the gay dating apps, it's you know, it's a lot of rejection sometimes. And you know, if some you get like if you send somebody your face pic, they'll block you immediately if they don't like what you see, and that's kind of <laughs> damaging to your psyche, you know, like, what did I do wrong? I just sent a picture of my face. Um, luckily not many people do that to me, but whatever, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's a real big culture shock. And it's also, you know, when you go out, it's, we're so steeped as a society and like the gender norms of like a guy pays for a date and like he holds the door for the woman, you know, some, some archaic kind of stereotype bullshit that right. still happens today so with like a guy it's like learning all over again it's like do i pay for this do we split it you know do do i do you know can i hold the door open for him and i think the biggest shock was you don't it's most guys if you're going on a date with him you guys don't show public affection you know with a girl you hold her hand you Mm -hmm. kiss her cheek whatever uh if i'm out with a guy it's you know, you can't hold his hand. And it's not because you're embarrassed. It's you don't know who's around you. You don't know if somebody who is against gays dating is around you. You know, you can't show your affection in public. And that was kind of the biggest thing to get used to, I think. Hmm. You know, sometimes you have to act like you're just buddies out like for a drink or that you're just like brothers or something. I always make fun of my friend Timmy because every picture that he takes he's gay and every picture he takes with his fiance they look like two fucking awkward brothers that they're like mom said get together for a picture with grandma (laughs) i'm like can you at least fucking hug him or something jesus (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting and that's why i wanted to have start having you know having more of these conversations because my my specific lens is so different i take so much for granted um and it's a shame that society is like that it's it's I just, I mean, my son is, my oldest son is 10 and he just, uh, realized, um, just through watching things and whatever that there is same sex attraction. And I think he was watching Supergirl, the TV show. And I think in there, I think there must be a lesbian couple in that. Yeah. He, we were having breakfast the other day and he goes, dad, he's kind of working through, you know, working this out in his mind. He goes, can can two girls live together and like maybe hold hands and kiss? And I went, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they can. He's like, huh. 
Wait, that's weird. And then he goes, how, okay, how about can guys do that? And I was like, well, yeah, if God made them that way, you know, and then he's like, huh, well, I'm not like that. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's how God made you. And he's like, okay. Yeah, at least he knows. <laughs> but it's, it's yeah. interesting seeing him work through it and kind of realize it and then just kind of move on. And he's like, huh. All right. I even have conversations with my dad sometimes about because he like I said, he my dad is very liberal, like very much a free thinking person. Um, But, you know, I took him to see Kinky Boots when it came to my city uh, a couple years ago and, you know, the the Broadway musical and it's about Mm -hmm. drag queens and everything. And he, he was he had to ask me questions. He's like, is that a drag queen or is that like a trans woman? And I was like, oh, they're drag queens. And he was like, do I do I call it a she or do I call them he? And I was like, call it a she when it's in drag, call it he when they're a boy, you know, dressed mm-hmm. in boy clothes. And he was like, oh, okay. And like, I was like, you know, it's my dad who's in his 60s. And I thought it was so precious that he's like asking these questions about things that he doesn't know still. <laughs> I see this happen all the time uh, when uh, just recently I posted a uh, there was an, an ad that this that this church or no, this this group in Iowa called the uh, Progressive Reformation of Iowa. And they're uh, what they do. They're like a watchdog group and they make sure that other churches are following what they believe are like what the Bible says to them. And they call people out. <laughs> it's really weird. So progressive isn't in the positive sense here. And they they're in in orange. Oh, is it orange? Not orange city. Is it orange city, Iowa? Anyway, they, they do like a tulip parade. And and um, in in Iowa, in certain areas of Iowa, they're very inclusive and very liberal. And, and I mean, Iowa was one of the first states to to legalize gay marriage. And so um, where was I going with this? So. So. OK, so. I posted this ad and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, that's this is crazy because it was saying basically like, do you want homosexuals marching in the parade? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the churches that are against this abomination. Here are the churches that haven't made a stand. And they're like calling out churches. Um, And then they did. But they also mentioned like there was a book uh, that these pro gay books are in the library and they paid for a tax dollars. It was ridiculous. I've never seen an ad like that. I'm like, wow, that's ridiculous that they would, you know, pay the money to put that, put that in there. But they specifically broke out, you know, uh, uh, trans and, um, and, and homosexual and all that kind of stuff. They, they broke it down and someone was like, oh, well, at least they got, at least they got that, uh, you know, transgender isn't always, doesn't always mean gay. (laughs) Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> so, so there's this stuff that our society like is still kind of learning. I'm actually happy that the the conversation is happening more. I mean, and in our next generation, like with our kids, like my kids, they were in a um, they were in a bathroom that had just you know it was anyone can use this bathroom, and they just went in and used it. They're they're like, oh, okay, I'll go in the stall so you don't see me, and I'll go over here. Okay, cool. And they just went in. <laughs> went to the bathroom and they went out. It was no big deal to them. So that, like that kind of stuff gives me a lot of hope, uh, at least in my area. I mean, I, I still am kind of in the Bible belt of Southern California a little bit, but, um, but I mean that, that at least like having these kind of more nonchalant conversations about how things really are, 
uh, gives me a lot of hope with with the the future. So your area is more liberal leaning. Like, have you encountered like people picketing and, and all that kind of stuff? And like I said, I live in a very liberal area, but um, like Connecticut, everyone always thinks like Stepford Wives and everything like that. And that is one small county in Connecticut. <laughs> you know, the rest is like we have big inner cities, which is what I live in. And then there's a shit ton of these very white bread suburban areas, places that I didn't know really existed when I was growing up because I grew up in one big city, one very diverse big city. And when I went to college, I moved to another one. And that's the one that I live in now. And so like there are tons of still very conservative, very like, you know, I need to bring up the election or whatever. Hillary won Connecticut, but she won it because of big cities like the one I live in. But more towns voted for Trump, you know. And so there is a couple like when I go out on shoots and whatnot, we go to different small towns in Connecticut and you have to watch yourself sometimes like I can't I wouldn't be able to bring like a boyfriend to set to some of these towns to, you know, I definitely couldn't hold somebody's hand in public or anything like that. So it's always still there. You know, have you have you encountered anyone kind of trying to confront you personally or 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 not? I've had people like because anyone that listens to our podcast knows that Spencer and I both work part time at a movie theater when we're not like shoots and whatnot. And me and him both wear, because we have to wear, like, they give us pins to wear and stuff, you know, like flair, you know, yeah. typical. <laughs> so we kind of wear our own flair. And both of us have, like, some kind of rainbow pin on us. Like, I have one, a rainbow pin with the Babadook on it. And it says, I'm Baba Shook, you know? <laughs> nice. And uh, so some, like, there will be people that see it. And they'll they'll even they'll you know, I'll do like my transaction with them at the very end. They'll be like, well, I'll pray for you, John. Like, out of <laughs> you know, like And there will be times where and, you know, it happened a lot after the election. You know, people kind of thought it was OK to be an asshole, to mm-hmm. discriminate. And there was a lot of times where a lot of the elderly or like the, you know, the people who voted for him, you know, the middle aged white men, you know, they would have conversations with me not knowing that I was gay. And they would say very homophobic, very misogynistic things. And I would just be like, like, um, like one guy came up to me and he like, he was having a conversation with his friend, you know, and he's like, Oh, I can't wait till Wonder Woman comes out. And his friend's like, why? He goes, you know why? Cause of her big tits, you know, am I right? <laughs> and I just go, Oh honey, God, no. And so like, he was like, disgusted when I said that. And even like, um, I go to, you know, I'm at the gym all the time and there's kind of, there's not a group of gay guys, but there's like a couple gay guys that go there also. And we all kind of know each other, you know, each other from the bars, you know, each other from like friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of known that like, Oh, I'm gay, you know, at the gym because I talk to these other gay guys. And so, you know, it's like I'm just like in the locker room taking a piss and I walk, I go to the urinal next to like the other kid. Uh, it's just like some like random like 20 something bro. And he like walks closer into the urinal like I'm going to peek in. on. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, OK, like I'd rather hit on somebody who I know will like want me back. Thank you, dude. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. 
you get little things like that here and there. And of course you get, um, you get called a faggot a lot. <laughs> like I got called a faggot multiple times at the movie theater. Like just one woman told me she was mad because I wasn't getting mad that she was yelling. Cause I'm very kind of stoic mm-hmm. when I'm there or, you know, I'm not over apologetic and I don't get upset a lot. And so she was yelling at me about something. And then when she was leaving, she was like, I'm glad you'll never be able to have kids is what she said when she went out <laughs> oh the door. Like it's, you know, and you kind of have to let things like that roll off. It's like at this point yeah. in my life, I, you know, I've been called ridiculed for being gay since I was, you know, 10 years old. So it doesn't bother me anymore, but it's still something like, yeah. you know, you take a moment and you're like, wow, like that still happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah man, I, uh, I'm sorry you got to deal with that shit. That's that, that, that's the kind of stuff that really, I mean, it is what it, you know, it is. Yeah. When I came out as pro gay marriage, uh, the reaction, you know, of people that I thought would at least be like, oh, okay, well, that's your opinion. Like the, the, yeah. the, the amount of shock and awe that they would come back at me with, it was, is ridiculous. And I, I, I always was like, well, look, I'm working out my, you know, I, and that's the whole point of this podcast going on five years. I'm working out my own bullshit with, with my relationship with God and if, if there is a God or whatever. But the things that I always land on are like the, the love and grace that, that Jesus gave in the New Testament. And I was like, man, if, if more churches did that, like that would be more powerful than anything. Um, if they, if, you know, there was like a, a marathon or something like that. And, and this one more, I guess, progressive church decided instead of because there's picketers right people picketing against uh the gays running in the or maybe it was at a a gay pride event or something like that but um but this other these other church came and they were like given you know jesus jesus loves you uh and you know do you want a hug there's hugging you know uh people down the line and just saying hey you know god loves you and and you can be you and whatever and like there's this picture of just this man you know these two guys embracing and one was the Christian and one was a, a just a gay man that they, they gave a hug and he was just uh just crying and like it was almost like like he had never had anyone approach him like that from the church and that like to me like that kind of stuff is way more powerful than anything yeah well me and Spencer always get accused a lot on our podcast for making fun of like people that are religious uh-huh. and it's like we don't like, cause I, I don't know what I consider myself. Now, I don't know if I consider myself a full blown atheist because, you know, I do believe in like some supernatural stuff, like maybe like ghosts and like, I'm not like <laughs> really, you know, and that doesn't fall under athe- atheism. So it's like more like I'm agnostic, I guess. Right, at right. This point. And so we, we kind of take some hot punches at Christians sometimes, but it's like, we don't, that's not towards everyone. It's towards the ones that kind of cherry pick what they want out of the religion you know what i mean like it's just you know it's the ones that use it to stamp you know the uh everything about you know the whole wedding cake thing with the baker (laughs) oh it's a religious belief no you're just an asshole you know it's Mm -hmm. it's people that and that kim davis woman you know who wouldn't let the gays get their marriage certificates and stuff like that you know, you're you're it's we we get upset with people who hide behind their religion or use their religion as an excuse to be a dick. Definitely. The the one last thing that I wanted to ask you and and the whole the whole point that if, that I'm putting this episode together is 
I just wanted to gather these stories and, and, and everything. And if someone's listening and they haven't come out yet and they're in wherever they're at, like they could be a more progressive area that is more accepting or they could be in more uh, an area that condemns it. And like, what would be like the main set of advice you'd give someone who is considering finally coming out? I mean, the advice is just don't give a fuck and do it. Do what makes you happy. I mean, you know, I always use the quote from, (laughs) I quote RuPaul's Drag Race a lot, obviously, (laughs) but she had, she had one quote that was in season five to Miss Roxy Andrews. And she said, we as gay people get to choose our family. And that's because, you know, that goes back to whether you're being ostracized from your own family because you're Mm -hmm. gay or if you just family as in friends, because, you know, I have straight friends, too. But there's a different kind of bond with your gay friends. And like, that's your family. They know what you've been through and everything. So it's like, don't be afraid. You might go through a rough time. But I mean, it's it's a lot better. Guys suck dick way better than <laughs> so that's going to be a way better experience. And you're just going to be happier. And if you're lonely at first, if like your family abandons you, you will find your family like there. There's always going to be accepting people, you know, and like, don't get me wrong. Not, uh, you know, unlike something like Queer Eye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every gay person is like a happy-go-lucky, smiling, always like nice person. But there, are, to an extent, even if you like come across like a bitchy gay, to an extent, they know your pain. You know, they will understand you to a degree. You know, it's it's a family, so you're gonna be accepted one way or another. So don't be scared. Awesome. Thank you, the John, for for opening up and talking about this. Really appreciate you. Uh... Uh, taking the time and and uh, to tell us your story, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, I had a ball. <laughs> when I was preparing for this episode, I received an email from a listener named Ken. I knew from the time I was pre-kindergarten that I was different. Skipping ahead a few years through elementary school, I'd of course heard of being a queer, but I never really connected in my mind that that's what I was. It's not something that I suddenly grasped one day. The knowledge just sort of came to me gradually. I grew up in small town Indiana where queer always, always carried a negative connotation and it was something strictly prohibited. On the playground, my classmates would play the hybrid keep-away-slash-tackle game that they called Smear the Queer. I could have any number of negative traits, but oh no, I could not be a queer. My father was never really a father to me. I don't think he knew how to be a father because his father was no role model either. I never received sage words of advice from him like Hugh Downs doled out to Wally and Beaver, only lashes with his belt when I had stepped out of line. His favorite hobby was ridiculing me, making fun of me for anything he could think of. My father was also the epitome of a homophobe. I don't think he ever even suspected that I was gay, but I think I was always a disappointment to him. My parents divorced when I was in 6th grade, and my father immediately remarried. 
My stepmother had a cousin who was openly gay, several years older than me. He came to visit once. My father was completely uncomfortable having him around and after his departure forbade my stepmother from ever allowing him in the house again. I always clung to my mother. She was the caring, nurturing parent who tried to teach me right from wrong, good from bad. As good as she was, my secret was not something I could share with her either. It was a secret I dared not share with anyone. I went through my high school years and college years masquerading as straight, although I had a good friend with whom I played around with on several occasions. Nothing serious, just teenage boys getting themselves off. Other than that, I never acted on my feelings. After graduating college, I played the part of the dutiful son and did what was expected of me. I settled down with a woman I met my senior year. We married just a few months after graduation, settled into our nest, and a year later were pregnant with our only child, a beautiful baby girl. My wife was the perfect wife. She was beautiful, kind, intelligent, funny. She lit up the room anytime she walked in and was the type of person everyone wanted to be around. I looked up to her in so many ways and she was truly my best friend. I honestly loved her, but not in the right way. Not in the way that she deserved to be loved by a spouse. Our family life was pretty fantastic. We had the opportunity to live in many different places, including overseas in Switzerland for five years. We vacationed often, entertained occasionally, and never really had a need for anything we didn't already have. Our sex life, on the other hand, while at times exciting, often just seemed like drudgery to me. I was going through the motions. I was with her physically, but my mind was always on the images of nude men that I'd seen, anything that I could conjure up to get off faster and be done. As we aged together, I became increasingly uptight, unhappy, unfulfilled. I knew what I was doing was not right, but I felt trapped by my lies. So I perpetuated them. The unhappiness manifested itself in many ways, indifference towards my wife, aggression towards our daughter, self-hatred of myself. I had always had a bit of a problem with weight, but I let my feelings be silenced by food. I grew larger and larger until I ultimately tipped the scale at 263 pounds in 2004. The larger I became, the more I hated myself. Upon moving back to the US, I began trying to do something about my weight. I dieted, trying all the major weight loss organizations and many fad diets. I also began trying to exercise more, riding my bike, rollerblading, and even trying to take up running. Over the years, I saw my weight dropping to a healthy level. I began working out with a personal trainer and saw the weight dropping off even faster. This was very exciting for me and I was finally beginning to like the person I saw in the mirror. By 2009, I was down to 162 pounds, a 101 pound weight loss.
The years 2009 and 2010 saw many significant changes for me besides the weight loss. We were living in Cincinnati at the time. Our daughter graduated from high school and had, for the most part, moved out. My wife took a new job at a startup company a two-hour drive away. She took a small apartment and would come back to Cincinnati on the weekends to be with me. While we spoke on the phone every day, these days alone gave me a lot of time to get reacquainted with myself. In 2009, I also discovered that my personal trainer was gay. I had never known that and had never even expected it. He was such a masculine man, he shattered the preconceived notions I had of the stereotypical gay. At the end of 2009, on Christmas Day, my wife experienced a miscarriage. We both had a slight suspicion that she was pregnant, but neither of us allowed ourselves to even speak of it. That was very scary. We joked about how lucky we were. I mean, starting over with a newborn at our ages. It was crazy. At the same time, we both were devastated by this. While the excitement of the prospect of a new baby seemed like it might be just what we both needed, it also represented just one more bar in my prison cell. A bar that wouldn't go away for 20 years. In the early spring of 2010, my father passed away at the age of 69 from Alzheimer's disease. One weekend in June, my wife was on a business trip and didn't come home for the weekend. I rode my bike downtown on that Saturday, parked on the corner of 5th and Walnut Streets, and watched the Pride Parade. I watched both the parade and the spectators. I had never seen anything so beautiful. Men kissing men, women kissing women. I love that on this day, in this moment, being gay was normal. There was nobody judging anyone. In fact, they were celebrating it. I left the parade, partially sad and thinking, I really want this for myself. It seemed like all the pieces were coming together and I knew what I had to do. I came to the realization that I needed to set myself free in order to be truly happy. In July, I decided that the next weekend she was home, I would tell my wife of 22 years that I was gay. As the weekend got closer though, I decided I couldn't go through with it, so we spent another three months of increasingly miserable weekends together. In September, it was eating at me and I knew I had to take action. With the fear of backing out again, I decided to tell both my mother and my sister first. In hindsight, this wasn't fair to my wife that she wouldn't be the first one to know, but it was the only way I could accomplish the task. If I opened my mouth and told someone, then it's no longer a secret, and I'd have to spill the beans to my wife. Neither my mother nor my sister reacted negatively. I think my mother already knew. Over the next few days, my wife could tell that something was weighing on my mind and she pressed me on it. I finally broke and told her my secret. She rushed home to be with me. We spent a long weekend of talking, not talking, sleeping, not sleeping, crying. 
she went through a range of emotions, trying to understand, trying to process her new reality. We began divorce proceedings. She moved to Indianapolis permanently, alone. On the other hand, while I felt somewhat guilty and while it might sound harsher on caring, I was enjoying my newfound freedom. I really felt like a trapped animal that had finally been set free. I was gay and I wanted the whole world to know it. About three months later, I found my true love. We had so much in common and I really enjoyed talking with him. We chatted online and via text for a few weeks before we finally met each other in person. He was everything I had hoped he would be. After six months of dating, I moved from Cincinnati to his hometown about two hours away. I rented an apartment a few blocks from him and spent as much time as I could with him. After a year in my apartment, he asked me to move in with him. Two years after that, in 2014, we traveled to Chicago to get married. Built a new home in our hometown and are raising his four adopted children and two dogs. While it's not always a walk through a rose garden, especially living in a conservative region of the U.S., I'm living my life authentically at long last. My family's been very supportive. My daughter has stood with me through all this and has never stopped loving me. My mother has become my greatest ally. My sisters and brother are happy seeing me so happy. My ex-wife took some time to come around, but we are finally beginning to speak to one another as of last week. I'm still sure that my dad would not approve and would probably have nothing to do with me if he were still alive. The only regret I have is not giving him the chance to know the real me, whether he liked the real me or not. Ken from Cincinnati. Brady Harden from The Life After is joining me right now. And uh, if you haven't heard The Life After, everyone, please check out that podcast. It's one of my favorites uh, in this past year since they've started out. And uh, I'm still kind of filling in the backlog of episodes I haven't heard. So uh, go to thelifeafter.org and check them out. Brady, welcome to The Armchair Philosopher. Well, thank you very much, Sean. It's good to be here. Today on this episode, I am trying to compile coming out stories and that's a very huge part of uh your story and um your story is very fascinating and in the future we you know i would love to have you on and we can dive deeper into the overall arc of of your story in in your past but um we'll we'll hit on it here too i believe as as you're telling your your story here because it's it's all interconnected it's so interconnected (laughs) yeah it's like a bad planter's wart that's just gotten into your foot but there's no way of taking it out with your foot still being able to work you know i go for the most disgusting metaphors do you like that (laughs) i love it i am all for disgusting metaphors uh so 
your whole story, because Chuck does a really great, Chuck Parsons, your other host, co-host, you kind of brought him on to help you out, but you guys have really become interconnected with, you know, doing this show together. But he did a great interview with you uh, about your story. And I would encourage everyone to check that out. It's going to be in the show notes. I want to kind of dive back a little bit, like how you were raised uh, in in the church and what their views of uh, of homosexuality are. We were very Southern Baptist. I went to a mega church in kind of like a suburban St. Louis area. It, it was funny. I was talking to a friend recently, and the majority of the things that we learned in church were not explicitly said. There were just these attitudes that you would say, oh, this is the attitude that was there. And other people could say, would try to deny it maybe, but it's like, no, it was really, really there. And I'm not the only, I'm not crazy for picking this up. But the, but the idea is that like, I feel like every like little community is always going to have that person, you know, who's the gay one. And um, <laughs> we were very, very judgmental towards that. And the belief system was that they had chosen to be gay, that they chosen to deny the law of God. Um, we never really discussed certain people being born with a predisposition. It was always, oh, whether well, mom was overbearing their dad wasn't in the picture or they didn't have enough gay friends. Um, later on, I also heard the stereotype that laziness creates homosexuality out of some verse that they take out of, I think it's more of an independent Baptist thing. They take some verses out of the old Testament, completely out of context and like completely fuck up. Like even inside of their, inside of their belief system, it would be the difference between causation and correlation uh, but even like within their belief system, it's all just bull crap anyway. Um, so it's kind of what we felt is that they, they were perverted, um, always associated with child molesters. Um, and those, those were kind of like the main pillars of beliefs of homosexual that or homosexuality that we were brought up with, uh, in my Southern Baptist. Around what time did you kind of start becoming aware, you know, that something was maybe, uh, different about you. I mean, so, okay. I have a brother who's older than me by four years and he is kind of a bully. Uh, and so he, I remember him like calling me the F word, like fag when I was in second grade. So he called it to me all the time, you know, for years and years and years and years. And I started to believe that. Well, what if him calling me gay all of this time is making me actually think that I'm gay you know, so it was around the age, I think it was 14. My dad was a computer programmer, so we all had computers accessible to us at all times, which was horrible for a 14 year old who <laughs> yeah. was trying to be like a really good Southern Baptist, like, I'm going to trust the Lord. Um, but when I was like 14, I started to realize, like, I, I remember my brother called me gay, and I was like, I think I am actually, though. And, you know, like, I would, I would try to watch like straight or look at straight pornography, but I would always start kind of, you know, kind of leering over of like, oh, here the, you know, my brother called me gay. I wonder what that would look like. I started to realize, yeah, it's, it's easier for me to enjoy this sort of porn than this sort of porn, you know? I remember when I was at that age and started getting interested in, in, you know, pornography and things like that. And that was always like, I felt so guilty exploring any, any aspect of sexuality at that age. Did you have that sort of guilt when you were looking at this stuff at that age? Was it something you're like, man, no one better ever find this? I was a very big rule follower as a kid. Um, I cared deeply, deeply, deeply about everything that had to do with my faith. So, I, yeah, I felt immense amounts of guilt. And 
I would do everything I could. I, I, I legitimately got a pair of scissors and cut because we had cable internet back then. Cause I'm, uh-huh. you know, 32. That was before Wi-Fi and DSL, you know, all that. So I, I would cut the cord and I, um, I had a laptop later on that I remember there was a switch on it that would turn the internet on and off. I super glued it off. Um, I would, change the password to things, write it on a piece of paper. Uh, I, I lock it up in a box, put it underneath Bibles. Like I would have to like, I set all of these things up against myself to try to get myself to stop and to change who I am. But always, even if I glued all of those things shut or if I locked them away or, you know, put myself through all of these like guilt inducing safeguards that were supposed to like, Oh man, I would never, you know, like move a Bible to look at porn. What I, you know, like sort of thing, like, um, no matter what, like my thoughts were always my thoughts mm-hmm. and you can't get away from that. Right. Um, I would fast the next, like I would starve myself the next day, not allow myself to eat. If I looked at porn, um, I even started getting like rubber bands on my wrists and I would start like snapping those. Yes, the rubber band thing. Yeah. To try to like get myself to do that. It was a lot of like shame and Mm -hmm. guilt and like it it was a lot of internal turmoil for sure so with your stories like you channel you're channeling all that and you were getting involved in your church uh you decided to uh i mean you were in the the heterosexual dating scene you were you, you were trying to suppress those urges right and and just trying to do the best you can based on what uh what was expected, I guess, of you in, in that church culture? When I finally hit, when I graduated high school, I finally was brave enough to tell people, quote, about my struggle with same-sex attraction. You know, that's that's my phrase, that if I could, uh, if I could destroy a phrase, it would be, quote, struggle with same-sex attraction. Yeah. But I, I started to be more open about it. I told my friends, like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. And, you know, they were supportive. And um, I didn't lose – in my mind, I thought I'd lose all of my friends if they found out the truth about me because, you know, there's so much weight about what we believed about those people. And if I'm just going to go out and say to them, hey, guess what? I'm one of those people. <laughs> then there's all these other things that are going to go with it. But they they were more understanding than that. Um, and so the I legitimately – like sexuality is a spectrum and it's constantly moving and changing. And so there were women at that time in my life that I really was attracted to. And I can see myself, uh, creating a relationship with or whatever. So, um, but after what, like I said, to be more honest with them of like, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. And there's even a joke on my show where we interviewed one of the women that I went on a date with and she's like my best friends now, you know, but we joke that like on our date, I like immediately told her, Hey, I, I struggle with the same thing. You know what I mean? Like it was like a part of an introduction because I wanted to be, I, I valued honesty and right, transparency right. so much that I couldn't keep a secret, you know, and I didn't want to mislead anyone. Um, I'm like, you know, iTunes, whenever you download the new part and you have to agree to all the, you know what I mean? You have to agree <laughs> yeah. to all the terms and certain, like I wanted everyone to like upfront know here are my terms. And so I eventually started becoming more open about that, but I never, ever, ever planned on, acting, you know, being uh, active in my homosexuality or practicing or whatever <laughs> the hell distinct, like whatever make believe distinctions, like, you know, certain veins of Christianity want right. to make to try to categorize their worldview over other people's experiences. But it's either you're gay or you're not, yeah. you know, 
it's not just about whether you're putting your dick in someone or having someone's dick put in you. It, it has to do with your, your, your mind and your thoughts and how you behave and uh, what your attractions are and all of that. So I understand Christians who aren't practicing. I respect that. Mm. Uh, but I, I just also believe that it's a product of being told they can't be who they are. So you ended up getting married and that's a part of your, a part of your story that we've, that, that you've talked about on, in more of an extended, uh, interview on, on your show. How did that work through your marriage? And then when did you start believing you, you really needed to address this and just be open about your, your sexuality? My story is a little weird. So before our first date, my ex-wife knew that I, I struggled with same-sex attraction or that I was attracted to men. Uh, but I also you know, made sure that she knew that I never planned on, on acting on it. And I didn't. What happened was I found out that she ended up cheating on me. Uh, she had an Ashley Madison account. And so in the processes of us going through our divorce, um, and separate, well, separation, everything first, and then, uh, trying to get her to stop cheating. But then there was some mental health issues, whatever. Um, it, it became clear that our, our marriage was dead, mm-hmm. you know, and it was during that time that I was going through some really major struggles with my faith because at that time our church was quote unquote counseling us, which was bullshit. <laughs> and, um, it was very manipulative and it was very abusive. But while I was going through that that abuse from my church leaders is when I finally started to deconstruct my faith and realize if they behave this way, I can't believe in the Holy Spirit in the way that I've always been taught that I believe in the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And that got me to start questioning other things. And then a lot of my deconstruction of my faith included a lot of theological arguments, logical arguments, and and all of this. And it was during those that I said, it is not worth me suppressing my sexuality mm-hmm. or something where people behave and believe this sort of bullshit. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is my faith expression was very like Calvinistic, black and white, Southern Baptist. So I don't mean Christianity in general. I'm not saying all Christianity is bullshit. There's many shades of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The shade that I came from was a very deep bullshit brown. And it was time for me to, to wipe that away, pun intended. Mm -hmm. And, um, Finally, just let myself be. So there was a night uh, I, I finally downloaded Grinder and uh, started to just actually, honestly, honest to God, made friends on Grinder, gay yeah. friends. I lost all of my friends during the divorce, during my church kicking me out and disfellowshipping me over absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I as I did that, I started to make new friends, and there was like a you know one of those two thirty in the morning situations where a guy's <laughs> like, "Hey, what's up?" And so I uh, got in my car, you know, drove her to his house. We pretended to watch Arrow uh, on his TV for a little bit. Um, And, you know, I was so suppressed that any interactions with someone else who was gay uh, would be kind of sexually stimulating, even just like a conversation because I was so suppressed. It's kind of like when dogs who are house dogs go outside on a walk and they see another dog and they get so excited, they're like, Oh my God, there's another one of me. You know, that was me with another gay guy. And so 
it was the first time that I had like a face-to-face conversation with another gay man who knew that I was gay and knew that we were attracted to each other. And so, uh, yeah, one thing led to another and we, you know, fooled around and that was my first experience. Next morning, I thought that I'd have so much guilt and shame for it because that's what it was always built up in my mind for 13 years between like when I realized I was gay until I was actually able to work, like act on it. And, uh, I literally just looked at myself in the mirror the next morning and gave myself a high five <laughs> and it was, because it felt like finally I I landed at the airport that I have been circling around for nice. so long. And now I can finally just like go get a hotel and relax. There's freedom in realizing who you are and being 100% who you are. And that, and it's for me, it's like with my own journey with my faith, it's a it's it's not on the same level. But there there is there is that same kind of feeling with when I can talk to someone and be completely myself and my beliefs and who I, within the things that I like. And I can, I can get a, a small degree, you know, be on that same level with what you're going, what you went through. Um, and that's, that's amazing. Like that feeling when you can just, just throw off those, yes. those, the chains of, of all the dogma and all the, the, you know, just everything that's been piled and piled and piled on, on us for since childhood, when you can shed that, that's, that's an amazing feeling. Everyone's different in, in how they come out to their friends and family. You obviously almost, it's almost like your deconstruction, like solve that for you because you going through being disfellowshipped and everything. Did you have this, did you feel like you had to start telling other people or did you just let it, just let it be what it, what it was? My disfellowship had nothing to do with my sexuality, which is the strangest thing. Like, (laughs) I was disfellowshipped because they wanted. She filed for divorce, and they wanted me to beg her to stay and right, ask for right. forgiveness of anything I could have done to have an affair. And I said no, so I got disfellowshipped. And so it was like a few months later. I was like, I had to tell people that I was going through a divorce because I was like, I don't know how to say this without sounding like an arrogant asshole, but like <laughs> I was kind of a weird like local Christian celebrity. Like I was in a TV show when I was younger, in my early twenties. So like everybody knew who Brady was, and I was like this weird ass like southern baptist public figure for southern like suburbs of st louis missouri um so i i always wanted to be transparent like i said before i think that's always been a driving force in my life and uh there came a point where i told people as i was deconstructing like I'm really afraid that I'm just going to be gay guys, you know, like I need help and nobody really helped me and uh, they didn't know what to do, which is like not their place to know what to do. Um, I even like talked to my mom at one point that I, that I was, you know, uh, afraid that I might leave the faith and that I was, I I don't even know if, I think I might've told her that I was attracted to guys that night. I did. I did. I told it was a big deal. My biggest Mm -hmm. fear is always that my mom would find out. Because my mom um, is very, very, very dogmatic, very Southern Baptist, uh, not Calvinistic, but different. And uh, i that was my biggest fear. But I told her that I was attracted to guys one night because I was so desperate. And she asked me six times that night <laughs> if I had been molested as a child and wow. was hiding it. And, and I had to explain, no, 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 no. And so, but then like, I think that her cognitive dissonance just kind of erased that from her memory. And then two weeks later... Um, I'm going to tell the story, but I want you to make it clear that my ex-wife and I are great now. We work well together. Uh, we are on the same page. I highly respect her. She highly respects me. We defend each other, uh, and we have a good relationship for our son. But at that time, it was very rocky. Mm-hmm. And uh, she 
as a tactic, outed me to my mom and told her that I was uh, actively gay, which whatever, that was not my ex-wife's thing to tell. So immediately they tried to work out a schedule. Uh, it was more of my mom where I would not have my son overnight mm. because if I didn't molest or rape him, one of my friends would, oh, you know, yeah. we had to shut that down. Um, but here I'm like going through all of this stuff secretly, you know, of like having to deal with all of this. And there came a point where I was just like, you know what? Tired of hiding who I am. I'm tired of going through all of these like new struggles of like, you know, before it was. Oh my God, how am I going to fix myself? How am I going to keep myself faithful as a Christian all of these years? How am I going to hide this from people to now? How am I going to exist as a gay man? You know, my struggles were just as difficult, but they changed yeah. their course. And, and I, and I thought, well, one of the struggles that I can get rid of myself is having to hide. Yeah. So I just got on Facebook and I, and at that point I was still a practicing Christian, but I said, Hey, um, I now consider myself a gay affirming. I'm a gay Christian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I posted on Facebook and there was 275 to 300 comments of people like either giving me encouragement, which was like mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority, to be awesome. honest. Awesome. And then the rest were people discussing whether or not I was going to go to hell, um, <laughs> and all of this other shit. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I wanted to out it on Facebook and just be like, this is who I am. Cause I would start going to gay bars, Sean, mm -hmm. and I would, I would be at a gay bar ordering a drink and I would hear behind me. Brady Harden and I would turn around and it would be somebody that I went to high school with or somebody that I went to church with growing up because uh, there was one other guy who was extremely like flamboyantly gay and he uh -huh. couldn't hide it you know so he just like rolled with it but it was very difficult for him he attempted suicide oh, his family to accept him but then like that was an eye so yeah like out of the church I grew up in major struggles of people with their sexuality but I'd turn around and after hearing my name it'd be like oh hey we have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> I'm glad that you had all that encouragement, though, because that's the biggest fear, I think, for a lot of people wanting to be real with them and, and, and just tired of hiding. Like that support system is huge. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you had that because the things that I've read and people I've talked to as well, like some of them don't. And what we're trying to do at the life after, you know, like our thing is to create this community that people are afraid that they're going to lose. Like I want to recreate the, the level and the importance of a community, even if it's just online mm -hmm. that when people think, Oh, if I come out, I'm going to lose all these people. But it's, right. but yeah, you've got a whole other group of people here who have gone through the same shit and we're ready to like take you in open arms, deconstruct your faith in a safe place, do whatever yeah. you need to do. We're here. I want to recreate that, you know? then that's fantastic. So you, you come out of Facebook and then now you're in the, the gay dating scene, which is completely <laughs> different scene. And I've been out of the dating scene for a good 15 years now. So I have even, yeah. in the, even in, you know, even in my world, I wouldn't even know what to do. So I couldn't imagine the culture shock. If I guess if that's the right word, the culture <laughs> shock that you kind of okay. went into was there ever, ever a point when you when you went, wow, I think I signed up for more than I can deal with? Oh, God. All right. Um, so, I mean, I was definitely like I kissed dating goodbye sort of culture, you know. So I like went from like I kissed dating goodbye to um, how do I eat ass well? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. so I so is there is there a is there a tutorial on that somewhere? Did you were you up looking up tutorials like 
I need to, I need to make sure I do yeah, this I right. Yeah, I mean, like, it's more of just like trial and error and you yeah. figure things out. But like, it was a huge culture shock for me because, you know, I went to like from like a Puritan to somebody who's using dating apps for the first time. And, yeah. and you know, like, I saved myself for marriage. I was a 26 year old virgin, yeah. you know, so I've yeah. had sex with one woman and then, um, we may or may not have lost counts on the men's side, you know, and because, uh, because gays, from my experience, we are rightfully more of a sexually charged culture because a lot of us had to repress ourselves for a long time and all of this. And so whenever we finally open the door to that and uh, we are more, we own our horniness and we're okay with that. So it wasn't just that I had to, to figure out dating again, as I also had to figure out, uh, a sexually charged hookup culture that, um, I was always taught was a horrible thing. But then once I realized, no, you can do this really ethically and very like in a positive way. So I started to have friends with benefits that I legitimately cared about and they cared about with, for me and we're still friends. Like, I, Sean, I wish there was an avenue where I could openly talk about the positive friendships and relationships that I have with my friends with benefits. That's huge. That's so important because there's the, the, the stigma of, of people like myself and you that were grew up in this religious culture, but not even just religion. Like I, I, I would go so far to even say like American culture, like just intertwined. Yeah. It's so important. I think to have these conversations and, and to own it because because that's the that's the thing that I grew up in was by I can't let my gay friend watch our dog, you know, like bullshit like that. Yes. Yes. And and then, oh, well, all these gay guys are all friends with each other. Are they all fucking each other? How does that work? Are they, you know, because everyone puts this stuff in their own, like, I guess, heterosexual mindset that's been just gone this this certain avenue for so long that it's weird that even in 2018, I'm still being educated and so many other people are still being educated on how this works. Uh, It's just fascinating to me. And and the dialogue needs to to change and to be more open. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But it's weird because I didn't – so I walked into the gay dating scene as a father. I mean I I have a Uh son. We didn't mention that part and he's very important to me, obviously. (laughs) He really is. I love him to death. He's like my world. So I'm um, coming out of my late 20s. Right. not very experienced in sex. I was a little, uh, starting to get a little overweight from depression, weight from my divorce, which is, uh, with homosexuality being so sex charged, like appearance in St. Louis, at least, and a lot of other cities where things are still kind of like conservative ish. Um, more of like people who look different, aren't always appreciated or celebrated. So I, um, there was a lot going against me, mm-hmm. but I navigated, I figured it out. Um, my first boyfriend was probably like, you know, the boyfriend that I look back at and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a great, great relationship. It wasn't meant to be and didn't need to, it was bad timing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, that was honestly the first time that I felt like I was treated as an equal and loved, mm-hmm. actually loved yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. And, um, but it was hard to get to that and it's hard to figure out dating. Uh, I'm, I had to mature very quickly, even with my home because growing up was abusive and everything. And so I basically have like 
I'm like a 50 year old man in some ways that like, I take certain things very seriously. I follow through with what I say. Um, I, I, I believe that like good communication is very, very important in dating and everything. And that's not always necessarily valued. Um, and not just the gay world, but just in the dating world in general. So I had to get used to that as well. And, um, I'm not, I haven't figured out dating. I'm I'm like four (laughs) or five years into this. Um, I, when I, I'm going to have a third date with a guy recently, but like I haven't had a boyfriend or a relationship in over a year. And so there's a lot of loneliness mm-hmm. when it comes to certain parts of your personality um, that I'm, that I'm having to navigate and figure through. But then there's other parts of this dating stuff and with uh, being gay on dating apps that uh, is definitely uh, is definitely more beneficial and is more fulfilling than it was before. There's always like this comedic thing with gay dates where it's like, who's going to pay, you know, because before (laughs) we made the rules so fucking easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like the the, the man pays women are property. We're buying you over (laughs) a long period of time. But like now with gays, it's like, uh, does the top pay and the bottom doesn't? But like, what if we're versatile and I'm more of like a top verse. So it's like, shit, do I pay 75%? And so it's, it is kind of comedic and it's just something funny to laugh at a date with. There's my dating tip for the day. Make jokes about who's going to pay guys. What sort of advice would you give to someone who has been, who's repressing their feelings, who is feeling about they, maybe they should come out or, or they're scared to what's, what's the biggest advice that you can give uh, someone like that? Wow. I've never been (laughs) asked this before. And I literally feel like my entire life has been building up to be asked this one question. (laughs) So this better be damn good. I would say, um, you have been indoctrinated to believe certain things about yourself and you've been indoctrinated to believe that you should not be yourself. The struggle that you are going through as a homosexual or as a trans person or as a lesbian, anybody who's a sexual minority, the struggle that you're going through is unlike anything that the people who are putting you through this struggle have or ever will experience. It is not even comparable at all that you are having to repress your entire identity and your entire sexuality. They'll compare it to pornography. They'll say, well, I struggle with pornography, but I have to put that away. They'll compare it to, well, yeah, there's other women in the church that I may look lustfully at, but whatever. But no, it is not at all in the same ballpark. And for them to say absolute bullshit, if there are a hundred people who are gay, trans, LGBT, whatever, and they say we were not born this way, and there's 100,000 straight people who are saying oh yeah well you know you chose to be that way you trust the people who are experiencing it who are living in it who are in the trenches and you listen to what they say and for the love of god let yourself be true what is happening with indoctrination is they are taught um a filter to look through the world you're being taught a filter to look through the world and they're going to jam pack everything in their worldview everything in the world to fit into that worldview you will never fit into that worldview because you are not experiencing anything what those trying to fit into that worldview have experienced yourself give yourself space 
Give yourself some time, some real estate, as my friend Derek Webb would say. Give yourself some, buy yourself some real estate so that you can have the space to figure out who you are and to finally experiment. Be who you are. Download a dating app, suck a dick, do whatever it takes, and then after that, let that be experience, and then filter your life and your experience from that from your worldview of what you are experiencing, not the other way around. Evidence makes conclusions. Conclusions does not make evidence. And and I highly, just please, for the love of God, I was the most dedicated Christian ever. I had every belief and every doubt that you're having right now. And finally stepping away from that was the best thing and the most freeing thing and the most joyous thing I've ever had in my entire life. And I've never looked back and never will look back. Brady, thank you for telling me your story and um everyone please check out the lifeafter.org you will uh you will not regret it thank you very much i appreciate it it's good being here Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'd like to thank John Doolin and Brady Harden for sharing their stories, as well as Ken from Cincinnati for sharing his powerful email. If you have a story you'd like to share, please call and leave a voicemail at 951-723-5586, or you can email me at readme at theaxpx.com. I really do believe these stories are healing and are empowering. I definitely will be revisiting the subject throughout the rest of the year. Music on this episode by Candle Park Stars and Slow Dancing Society. Please go to theaxpx.com slash music to hear more. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider becoming a patron saint over at Patreon, patreon.com slash theaxpx. It's only a dollar, and I have a bonus podcast called The AXPX Diaries, where you'll get a more personal look into my journey as well as a look behind the scenes of the podcast. Again, thank you for listening. If you dig the show, please consider rating and reviewing it over on iTunes. I'll talk to all of you next time. <laughs>